And uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. I don't see how we cannot preach to the uh, different character of the Christmas story and at some point not get to Luke chapter 2. In fact, this will be our text for tonight's message, uh, for Sunday night's message, and uh, that we got uh, two different um, uh, characters here in this uh, passage I'm, we're going to read tonight, and we'll talk about one tonight, one on Sunday night, Lord willing. So if you find your place, uh, stand with me as we read here. We're going to pick it up in verse eight, uh, verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 20. The Bible says this, And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, and you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they had made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Lord, what a blessing, God, uh, to be able to uh, celebrate, uh, Lord, you coming to earth for us. Uh, Lord, the Christmas season. Uh, Lord, I love the decorations. I love uh, the different things we have going on, the carols we're singing, Lord. Uh, but most importantly, God, is uh, what your word has to say about it. And I pray that you'd speak to us tonight through the message, and we praise you now for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, two different characters in the passage I just read to you, and uh, those, of course, were the angels and the shepherds, all right? So uh, anybody want to take a guess which one we're going to do tonight? Who thinks angels? Raise your hand tonight. Who thinks the angels? Who thinks the shepherds? Raise your hand tonight. I was going to do the shepherds, but now that you raised your hand, I'm going to do the angels. Just kidding, all right? No, we are going to do the shepherds tonight, and then Lord willing, we'll do the angels on uh, Sunday night. But let's talk about the shepherds. So, so far, we've talked, of course, we've talked a lot about Jesus. And by the way, we're always going to talk about him around here, amen? And uh, he, I think he's a part of just about every message I preach. And I hope it always stays that way. And as long as I'm the pastor, it will, amen? And so, we've, of course, talk, we've already talked about him. We'll continue to talk about him uh, last Last uh, week ago, Sunday, we talked about Mary and Joseph. Last Sunday, we talked about Herod. And so tonight, let's look at the shepherds. Now, I'm glad the shepherds were part of the Christmas story. I think about this. Out of all the professions of the day, God chose to send some angels and announce the birth of His Son to some ordinary common shepherds, some ordinary common shepherds. Now, I believe this is true for a couple reasons. First of all, I believe, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus, being the Lamb of God, that God sent uh, the angels to the shepherds, okay? And in fact, uh, we just sang it tonight, all we like sheep have gone astray. And uh, God, when He had to pick an animal to liken the human race to, uh, you know, He didn't pick the smartest animal out there, okay? 
All right? You know why he picked the one that's most like us? That's the sheep, because truth be told, as a human race, we're not too bright. Amen? All right? And uh, you would think we'd get things figured out, but we don't. And uh, so we're like sheep. And so Jesus, of course, was the Lamb of God, was and is the Lamb of God. I believe another reason, I think this is the main reason, that God chose to announce His birth to the shepherds, because the shepherds represent the hardworking common man. And you know, for the most part, you know what you find out, folks, as you go through the Scripture? It's the common man who received back in the days when Jesus walked the earth, and even the day and age we live today, uh, it's the common man that receives the good news about who Jesus is and why He came. In fact, it was said in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, when Jesus was in the temple teaching, it says this, "...and the common people heard Him gladly." By the way, if you read that story there in the context of that story, the common people weren't the only ones there. Uh, there, there. There were the religious crowd, the scribes, the Pharisees. But you know what? They're the ones always finding fault. It was the common person that heard Him gladly. And so I believe the shepherds represent what all of us are is the common man. Amen? And by the way, you know what? I'm glad we're just common folk, aren't you? I'm thankful for that. Now, you know what? I know from time to time God may send some, you know, I don't I mean this in a derogatory way, but highfalutin people, I guess, if you'd call it that, to a church or whatever. And, and you know what? They need the Lord too. Amen? But for the most part, the majority of the church of Jesus Christ is made up of just the common folk. Amen? And praise God for that. So let's talk about these shepherds tonight. And, uh, and I want to give you uh, uh, five different things that we see here in the story about the shepherds. First of all, I want you to notice their decision. Their decision. Uh, the angels, of course, came and gave them the message, and then eventually the angels left, okay? It was just kind of one of those uh, aha, grand, grander moments, and then the angels left. And after the angels left, uh, these shepherds had a decision to make. You know what? There was no necessarily persuasion by the angels, okay? You don't see the angels here like you do in some passages with the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn and say, you do this or you're going to die. That wasn't what was going on here. All they did was come and announce it, uh, or announce the birth, announce what the message God gave them to announce, and then guess what? They left. So what's that mean? It means this, the shepherds were there to make a decision. They could either ignore what they'd heard, or they could respond to it. They could either take it, or they could either leave it. And you know what? I'm thankful we see this here, that they made a decision to believe what the angels told them. They made a decision to believe. By the way, and we'll talk about this some Sunday night, that word angel, you know what it means? It means messenger. God sent a messenger to deliver a message to some people. By the way, God doesn't do it the same ways He did it then per se. But you know, God still has His messengers that He gives today. Amen? By the way, it's pretty interesting. You go to Revelation uh, ch- uh, chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters that Jesus had dictated to His seven churches, and those angels are directed to the angel of the church. And by the way, that, again, study it. Know what that means. Not talking about a heavenly angel. It's talking about an earthly messenger. And yes, God calls His pastors angels. Would you believe that? Can you believe that God would call His messengers angels? Are you all seeing it here? You seeing the halo? Or maybe it's the horns, alright? And uh, I didn't say whether it was a, a, a good angel or a fallen angel, right? Just an angel. So the word angel means messenger. And God today still is delivering His messages. And just as the shepherds had a decision what they were going to do with the message, guess what, church? We have a decision what we're going to do with the message. 
message. Amen? And let me tell you what preaching ought to be. And you know this about my preaching. Preaching ought to drive us to a decision. Amen? You ought to be able to walk out that door and, and ask yourself the question at the invitation time, what am I supposed to do with what I heard? Amen? And so uh, those shepherds had to make a decision about what the angels had told them. Now, the Bible doesn't give the name of maybe who the leader of the shepherds were or who the chief shepherd there uh, necessarily was, but someone made the decision to go to Bethlehem. And again, we don't necessarily know the name of the one that uh, maybe spearheaded the effort or maybe it was a collective effort, but you know what? Somebody said, you know what? Let's do uh, what we just heard. Again, notice what it says in verse 15. And it says, It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And here we go, you ready? The very next verse. And they came. And they came. That speaks of obedience. You know what else it also speaks of? Think about this. When someone makes a decision, somebody follows. Right? I mean, again, I don't know which shepherd it was that, you know, they quit gawking and finally said, let's do something about this. But you know what? Whoever made that decision, they all were in it together. And you know what, folks? That's an amazing thing. Because when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, make decisions based upon the message that God gives us through His Word, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Other people's going to follow. And by the way, this pendulum swings both directions. This happens with good choices, but sad to say, it also happens with bad choices. Again, all the scriptures filled with that. In First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen, you see where David had killed Goliath, and before he had killed Goliath, all the men of Israel were afraid. They didn't do what they should have do, uh, should have done. Uh, they were they, instead of fighting, they they were in fear. But here's what the Bible says: After that, David killed Goliath, and the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. You know what? It took one person making the right decision that affected everybody else. And by the way, you know what? Maybe you could be that one that makes that right decision that affects everybody else. But again, it's also true uh, if you make bad decisions. I think of John chapter 21, after Jesus had risen and it appeared to his disciples and then was absent for a while and the disciples hadn't seen him for a while, Simon Peter got a bright idea and he said, you know what? I go fishing. By the way, he wasn't just talking about some leisurely cast out and, and catching just a, a day out on the lake. No, you know what he's saying? He says, forget this stuff. I'm going back to what I knew before Jesus came along. He was discouraged. He was down. He made a bad decision. And here's what the Bible says. They, the other disciples, saying to him, we also go with thee. You know what? His bad decision influenced other people's bad decision. And so you know what we can learn from these shepherds? That uh, when it comes to their decision, it's important to make the right one. Amen? It's important to make the right one. And let me just say this, folks. Life is full of decisions. Okay? Life is full of them. And that's why uh, we're trying to teach our young people the things that we can instill in them so that when it comes to them making the final decision on their own, they'll choose right. Amen? They'll choose right. By the way, young people, you all are going to choose. You know what? You're not going to be the age you're at right now forever. Okay? You're going to grow up, and if life works the way it's supposed to work, and uh, and the Lord tarries, guess what? You're going to be adults before too long. You're going to be in that phase of life where it's time to choose a partner and, and, uh, and start beginning the life God has for you. Decision after decision after decision. Let me just say this. It matters that you make the right one. Amen? 
And so that's why, parents, it's important we instill within our kids the things they need so they can make the right choices and right decisions. Here's the second thing we see about the shepherds. Look what it says in verse 15. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. We see this. We see the departing. We see their decision. We see their departing. You know what that meant was this. If they're going to Bethlehem, they had to get up and leave where they were at. All right, Their decision caused some action. Their decision caused them to leave the field. By the way, when they left the field, they left their possessions there. Now here's an interesting question. What happened to the sheep when the shepherds left? What happened? Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't give us details. Maybe they had uh, someone that they called and stayed with the sheep. Uh, maybe they, I, I doubt they probably just left them with no supervision. But something uh, uh, was more important to them than their sheep. Amen? Let me just say this, folks. Uh, uh, this, could, this speaks of our willingness to put God and the things of God in the number one spot in our lives. Because let me say this, folks. When it comes to Jesus Christ, nothing is more important than Him. Nothing's more important. I'm talking about when it comes to eternity, nothing's more important. But I'm also talking about when it comes to how we live our lives, nothing is more important than the decisions we make about Jesus Christ. And these shepherds were willing to drop everything they had and, and everything that they knew to go and follow the message about Christ to find this babe in a manger. Now that doesn't mean we have an excuse to ignore the responsibilities we have in life. It just means this. We make God the number one priority and we schedule the other things around our commitment to God. That's what it means. Amen? Let me just say this, folks. Uh, without apology, God demands and ought to have number one place in our life. God it shouldn't be somewhere on the top ten. All right? Uh, he shouldn't be in the top three. He ought to be numero number, numero number uno. That's what I meant to say. Amen? Did I say that right, Andreas? Numero number uno. There you go. Amen? And uh, that, there's my limited Spanish right there. Although I can say burrito and taco pretty good too, okay? Uh, but no, He ought to be... Number one. Amen? Amen? Let me just tell you how this ought to work. I've said this before and I'll always say it, okay? Here's what we do. We don't, we don't try to just figure out where God's going to plug in at. I know a lot of people do that. A lot of Christians do that. Well, if I don't have this going on, then I'll fit God in. If this doesn't come up, then I'll have time for God. Wrong. Let me tell you how it works. God, first and foremost, is number one. Then everything else revolves around God. Amen? That's the way it ought to be as Christians. Without apology, God ought to have number one place in our life. We find an illustration of this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. It talks about Solomon. And here's what it says about Solomon. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. By the way, study that out. Uh, Solomon was in a 20-year construction project. You thought our week-long construction project was long, right? You thought our year project's going to be long when we build the church out there. Solomon was in a 20-year construction project. All right, It took him seven years to build the Lord's house, and then it was 13 years building his own house. And uh, you know what you find here is that when you read through there in Chronicles and Kings, when it talks about what Solomon did and accomplished, before he built his own house, he built the Lord's house. Amen? He made sure God's house was taken care of first. And again, you know what that speaks of? That we as Christians ought to put God number one in our life. So we see here that they departed and they left to follow the will of God. Number three, 
3, notice what we see here is that when they departed, they made a discovery. We see their discovery. Look what it says in verse 16. And they came with haste and found. By the way, they found what they were looking for. Amen? They found it. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, I always thought that was funny if you read that. And uh, th- and I forget what it's called. It's been a long time since I've been an English teacher. Uh, but th- there, there's, 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 there's a rule in English that if, you, if, 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 it's not, um, uh, if it's not written right, it sounds like everything's happening together. Okay? Anybody? Miss Mary Lou may know what I'm talking about there. All right? But I always thought it was funny when it says, and found Mary, Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. All right? They all three weren't laying in the manger. All right? But if you kind of read that, it kind of uh, maybe makes it sound like that. But no, they found Mary and Joseph, and they found the babe lying in a manger. Now, let me tell you what's interesting about this. And uh, uh, and, and I I think I know I have. I've, I've preached about this before. But I think it's an interesting fact of the Christmas story that a lot of people don't think about. Okay? Now, when... And for many years when I read this, I thought what everybody thinks, okay? I thought the typical manger scene, you know, in a barn, uh, or, or sometimes people even say in a cave, and this, this, you know, place and animals were all around, and, and you know, a typical manger scene, uh, you'll see the, uh, you'll see the donkeys, and you'll see all that stuff there. But truth be told, if you study scripture a little bit, that's not really what it was. Okay? And let me tell you what I'm talking about. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, there's an interesting verse. Here's what, the, here's what it says. And, and I brought this out to you the last couple of years, and so for some of you it won't be anything new. Here's what the verse says in Micah chapter 4, verse 8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now that's a prophetic verse talking about something specific that ties directly in to the Christmas story. And here's what I believe the Bible's teaching on that, okay? When the, when the shepherds were told by the angels that they would find a sign, Okay? Now, again, uh, it had to be something specific that they would know exactly what to look for. And this shall be a sign, okay? So if something's a sign, it's, it's, it's giving significance to something specific, all right? Here's the sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, that's the sign they were to look for. Now, again, typically, if we just read the story, don't understand historically what's going on, we think that, Swaddling clothes was just the custom of the day where they used to wrap a baby real tight and it was just something they did in the eastern countries and the babe lying in a manger. But if you start tying scripture in, especially this verse in Micah, when it's talking about the tower of the flock, let me explain what that means. The tower of the flock was a place in Bethlehem that literally was a a, 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 a multi-storage structure. And the point of the tower of the flock, it was where the, the priest, raised the sacrificial lambs that were to be sacrificed in the temple. And by the way, you study what the Scripture has to say about those sacrificial lambs. They had to be, remember we talked about it Sunday, without blemish? And they had to make sure that those lambs were perfect so they could be as a sacrifice. And it's interesting that that's where those lambs were born at was the tower of the flock. By the way, you know what they did with those lambs when they were born and they figured out that they were the perfect and spotless lambs? They would wrap them in these cloths called swaddling clothes to keep them clean. 
And so when the shepherds were told that you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, they didn't have to go scurrying around Bethlehem trying to figure out what cave or what barn Jesus was born in. By the way, have you ever thought about that before? How did the shepherds know where to go? By the way, the star, okay, in our minds, again, we think the star, by the way, that wasn't until a couple years later when the wise men came. That star wasn't over the, the place Jesus was born, by the way. That was over the house two years later when the wise men found Jesus. And so how did the shepherds know where to go? I mean, think about this for a minute. Bethlehem was a busy place. A lot of people, thousands, uh, if not tens of thousands of people there because it was census time. And so there was a lot of people there. I mean, these shepherds knew exactly. By the way, the Bible says, and they made haste. That meant this, before they left, they knew where they were going and I believe they knew exactly where to go. They went to the tower of the flock. They went to the place where the sacrificial lambs were born at. Amen? By the way, what a perfect picture of who Jesus Christ was. All the Bible ties together, folks. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so they discovered Jesus there, I believe, at the tower of the flock, wrapped in those, 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 those cloths that the newborn lambs were wrapped in to keep them clean for the sacrifice. And so uh, they moved with initiative and they found the Savior. They followed the leading and the guiding of God and they found that long-awaited Messiah. They took what light they had and they moved toward God. And let me just say this, folks, when we act upon what God has given us, He'll give us more and more. Amen? And that's what the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let me just say this about God, the way He leads. God doesn't always show us the whole big picture when He tells us to go someplace. God doesn't always unveil, unveil at all how it's going to be. No, you know what God will do? He'll give us a step. And when we take that step of faith, He'll show you the next step of faith. And the next step of faith, that's how God leads. By the way, why does He do that? I'll tell you why. It keeps us dependent upon Him. Amen? Yep. And again, I keep going back to this because it's what we live. I think of how God led to the leading of White River Baptist Church and everything we have here and how God did it. Let me just tell you this, folks. It was one step of faith at a time. All right. I mean, you know, God, if he would have showed me, okay, five years, he would have showed me the five year picture. Uh, I, I, you know what? More than likely, uh, we wouldn't have been here the way God wanted to do it had he showed it all to me at one time. You know why? Because I would have messed it up. That's why. You know what God wants us to do? Just trust Him a little at a time, a little at a time. Take the next step of faith, the next step of faith. And before long, you look back, you've made a whole journey by faith. Amen. I'm going to show you something very interesting here. And uh, I'm going to kind of tie this to some practical application. Take your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. About this idea of, of discovery and how these uh, shepherds discovered what God had for them. This is a passage of Scripture that for the most part, a lot, we, we usually, there's going to be one verse in this passage that we, we've heard and, and we read and we, for uh, truth be told, we take it out of context. We do that a lot with Scripture if we're not careful, all right? But what I want you to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is this idea of God showing us some things, okay? I'm going to read the whole passage of Scripture. It is Bible study tonight, amen, all right? And uh, uh, we're going to read the, uh, and study the Bible a little bit. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, now don't lose me as I read through here. And I want you to think about what the Scripture's saying here and the context of what, when we get down to verse 9, that what most people think is referring to heaven, but truth be told, isn't. 
Okay, here we go. You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. All right, so already see what the preface of this chapter is. Okay? Paul is coming, declaring the testimony of God. Okay? For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And by the way, let me tell you something, folks. That's the kind of preaching we need. Amen? We don't need a bunch of flowery words. We don't need a bunch of ear tickling. We need preaching that's in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Amen? that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Okay, again, perfect means mature, spiritually mature. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. There's that interesting word there, in a mystery. Even, notice this phrase, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now now think about what God said. That's a very interesting statement, by the way. Okay? God is trying to tell us here that there's some things that are hidden. There's some things uh, that are, are a mystery that God established, again, before the world, but even He made the world. So there's some things that He wants us as Christians to discover. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay, he's talking about the leaders, if you will, uh, 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 who were in power when Jesus was here. And what he's saying is, they did had no idea what was going on. They missed it. They missed the spiritual truth that God had for them. Now look at verse 9, because this is the verse a lot of times we take out of context. But as it is written... I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Now, could we apply that verse to heaven? Absolutely. Amen? I don't think it's doing the Scripture injustice by saying that that, that, that could refer to heaven, but that's not the context. That's not what he's, he's not talking about eternity here. What he's talking about is that there's some things that God hath prepared that He wants to show us and reveal to us if we'll love Him. That's interesting. Let me keep reading the chapter here, and I'll give you the truth. But God hath revealed them unto us. By the way, who's us here? By His Spirit. So those of you that have the Spirit of God, that means that if you're saved, God wants to reveal some things to you. Okay? For the Spirit searcheth all the things, yea, the deep things of God. Let me tell you one of the main reasons, one of the reasons you need the Holy Spirit is so that He can teach you the things God needs you to learn. Now, there's a lot of different uh, aspects of the Spirit. And again, I'm, I'm kind of going off a little bit. This could be a whole message in and of itself. Uh, but there's a lot of different functions of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Bible says that He is our paraclete, or He's our comforter. That comes from the Greek word paraclete, which means He comes along the side and He helps. It means helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. I don't know about you, but I needed the Holy Spirit to help me do what I needed to do today. Amen? 
And I ask Him that, Spirit, uh, Spirit of God, help me accomplish what needs to be done today. He's our paraclete. He's our comforter. By the way, He's our sealer. Amen? He seals us until the day of redemption. He's the earnest, the down payment. Amen? By the way, He's our convictor. Aren't you glad for that? Man, I'm glad He convicts me. I'm thankful for that. But also, folks, He is our teacher. And He wants to reveal things to us. I'm not talking about this new, you know, everybody's talking, well, I've got a revelation from God. I've got a, I've got a word of knowledge from God. I'm not talking about, you know, God, you know, supposedly showing you something that nobody else knows. I'm talking about the deep truths within His Word. Let me tell you something, folks. This book is deep and it's powerful. And there's things in here that, truth be told, we haven't even scratched the surface of. You know why? Because it's an eternal book, that's why. But you know what? We need the help of the Spirit of God to, to be able to discover the things God wants for us to know. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to go through and read the whole chapter, but what you see is, based upon what the Bible says, let me just read one more verse to you, verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, notice here, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You know what he's t- t- telling us here? He's telling us how the Holy Spirit will help us understand the Word of God. That's the whole context of the passage here. Okay? Now, back to what I talked about, about the shepherds and the fact that they, they had a discovery. They discovered uh, where Christ was and who He was. Let me tell you what I believe God wants for us to, to discover today is this. Spiritual truths from His Word that will influence us to live our lives within the perfect will of God. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit wants to do, folks. Now, don't miss this. Amen? That statement was worth the price of admission tonight. Amen? All right? What the Holy Spirit of God wants for us to do, what, or what He wants to help us to do, what we need to be discovering is this. Spiritual truths from the Word of God that will influence us to live our lives within the perfect will of God. Let me tell you what I believe, folks. Once you're saved, the most important thing you can do is find the will of God and do it for your life. The most important thing. By the way, when God made you, He made you with a particular will that He wanted you to accomplish for your life. Amen? We're not here by accident. We're not some weird you know, science experiment that God's playing around with. No, we're here for a purpose, and God has a will for your life just like God has a will for my life. Amen? And you know what we need to do as Christians? Figure out what that is through the help of God, through searching the Word of God, through prayer, and sometimes, yes, even through fasting, and accomplish that for our lives. All right, let me, let me, let me break it down a little more uh, simpler for you, okay? Let me tell you a spiritual truth that the Holy Spirit wants you to get. How about this? Young people, He wants you to marry right. Let me tell you something. The Bible contains the truths you need to make sure you find the one God created for you. Okay? And you know what you've got to do? You've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit to find that person, apply the biblical uh, principles you need to make sure you get the right person, and then once you get them, to apply the biblical principles you need to keep that person. Okay? I'm going to tell you, folks, it all flows hand in hand. How about this? The Holy Spirit wants to help us and show us the mysteries and the deep truths of true happiness in life. We just preached about it a few weeks ago. You know what one of those ways to find true happiness is? Contentment. Contentment. By the way, I'm going to tell you right now, the way the world's trying to find it, are they happy? Is it working for them? I don't think so. You know what? They're doing what the Bible says here, man's wisdom. 
They're trying to find happiness through man's wisdom. Alright? How about this? The truth of knowing what we need to do to hear the Master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, let me give you a reality check. Okay? Can you all handle reality? Not every Christian is going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Reality check. Okay? Because I'm going to tell you, God's not interested in our intentions. Not interested. By the way, what's it say? Well, what? Done. So guess what that means? If you want to hear well done, you better be doing. Good. Talking about being faithful. Okay? Being consistent, being steady, being balanced, faithful servant. Okay? I mean, come on, folks. And listen, the Word of God, through the help of the Spirit of God, wants us to discover the, the, the scriptural principles to help us. And by the way, I just mentioned three. This could go on all night long. There's myriads of things that we need to know as Christians to live a life that's pleasing to God. Now, I'm not saying it's complicated per se, but I'm going to tell you this, folks. We better get everything, all of our philosophies, all of our beliefs, everything we have, if we want to be what God wants us for us to be, we better base it on this book right here. Amen? All right? That song we sing in Sunday school, it's not some just little time feeler. Okay? The wise men built his house upon a rock. Okay, that is good doctrine, amen? Because I'm going to tell you, the storms of life are coming. Okay, all right, they're coming. And by the way, I have a feeling they're going to start blowing harder and last longer, amen? All right, I'm going to tell you, if you want your life to stand, you better base it upon a good foundation. And that's the Word of God. Now again, we could go further, I'm done with that point. Let's finish this up tonight, all right? Number four. We see the desire of the shepherds, all right? We've talked about their decision, their departing, their discovery. What was their desire? Look what it says in verse 17, back in our text, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 17. And when they had seen it, all right, what did they see? They found, they saw the babe, amen? They found Mary and Joseph. They found Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in that manger where the sacrificial lambs were raised at. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying, which was told them concerning the child. Man, you know what that talks about? That talks about the desire they had to spread the word about this baby Jesus that they saw. And here's what that led me to think about. How about this? How about this question? What desires do we have as Christians? What desires do we have? Do any of our desires match up with His desires? That's, that, that's a good telling question. Are we concerned with the things that please God, or are we only concerned with the things that please us? Right? Bible says in Psalms 37, verse 4, I love this verse, Delight thyself also in the Lord, listen to this, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now here's what some people think. Oh good, that's my genie in a bottle verse about God. That if I'll just love God, He'll give me everything I desire. I don't think that's what that verse means. Let me tell you what I believe the, uh, that verse is talking about. If you delight yourself in God, meaning this, all right, you have a relationship with God. You love God. You fellowship with God. You walk with God. It's more than just religion. It's relationship. It's real to you. And I mean, you, by the way, you know what I mean by that? Delight yourself in, in, uh, in the Lord. I mean, come on. I understand we all have off days, but your Bible reading time every day should not be a dreadful thing. It shouldn't be something you have to just, you know, totally make yourself do and you just drudge through it. Oh, I can't believe I got to read my Bible today. Okay? That shouldn't be what it is, folks. You ought to love that. You ought to enjoy that. Amen? You ought to delight in that. Your prayer time with God. Now, I get it, folks. Prayer is hard work. 
I got to make my flesh start praying. But I'm going to tell you right now, it don't take very long for me to be in the presence of the God. In the presence of God, I really start enjoying myself. Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Now, here's what happens. You live a life where you're delighting in God. Here's what's going to happen, folks. He will put His desires in your heart. That's what I believe that verse is talking about. You want to love like God loves? Delight yourself in God. Amen? You want to feel the way God feels about things? Delight yourself in the Lord. Amen? And He'll give you those desires. Now understand, folks, we all have to deal with the flesh, and sometimes the flesh gets in the way of those types of things. But let me just say this. Their desire was to go and publish the word about that new baby, and their desire was God's desire. And you know what? Our desires ought to be His desires as well. And then last of all, we see this. Number five, we see their delight. Their delight. Verse 20, notice what it says. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. That doesn't seem like to me that those shepherds were, you know, in the molly grubs. That they were all, you know, depressed and their, their, their bottom poochy lips sticking out because, oh man, look, look at what we had to do. Oh, we had to leave our sheep. We had to find someone to watch him. We had to go trekking all over Bethlehem, or uh, all over Bethlehem. Are you kidding me? No way. I mean, these guys, the Bible says glorifying, praising God. They, they were delighting in what God allowed for them uh, to experience. That was their joy. Amen? And let me just say this, verse 12, uh, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. I mean, come on, our, our, our songs are based upon that, right? Joy to the world. Why? The Lord has come. I mean, these shepherds were rejoicing in the fact that the Savior had come, and they got to be part of it. they got to be an eyewitness front row seat to that. So again, folks, here's the question. Can we say that our delight is in the Lord and in the things of the Lord? By the way, the Bible, if you've chased that phrase, that's a whole Bible study in and of itself, that word delight. The Bible tells us what we ought to be delighting in. Psalms chapter 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Uh, uh, Psalm 40, verse 8, I will delight to do thy will. Uh, uh, all of Psalms 119, the subject of that matter is the word of God. Several times in Psalm 119, you read phrases like this, I will delight myself in thy statues. Thy testimonies also are my delight. I will delight myself in thy commandments. I delight in thy law, and thy law is my delight. Amen? Let me tell you, you know what, folks? That's the way it ought to be well, for us as Christians. Amen? We ought to delight in the things of God. So let's learn from these shepherds, and let's do this. You ready? Here we go. Here's all five points in a statement. Let's, number one, make a decision. Number two, depart to the place where the Lord is. Number three, discover. Number four, the desire to spread the good news. And number five, experience the delight that comes from obeying God and His Word. Let's pray.